When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the World of Work podcast, brought to you by the Aggie Evo System, UC Davis Athletics' one-of-a-kind initiative that focuses on preparing student-athletes for a successful launch into life after graduation. Happy Thursday, Aggie Evo fans. If it's Thursday night, it must be time for the Aggie Evo World of Work Coffee Talk podcast, part of our ongoing effort to help student-athletes better know and navigate the world of work by introducing them to different jobs, to different humans who are doing extraordinary things in the world post-Davis. Tonight is the closest to actually still being in Davis of any uh, interview I've had to this date. I'm super happy to welcome football great aerospace engineer, future NFL stud, Nick Amoa. How are you, my friend? I'm good. I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Thanks. So first question always is tell me your story. And as you probably already know, one of the Evo requirements is that student athletes learn how to tell their story because that's how you sell yourself, whether you're trying to get picked up by a pro team or get into a medical school or sell yourself for a name, image, and likeness purpose. So tell me your story and we'll take it from there. Um, So I would say my kind of desire to do engineering started from a very young age. Um, I was just like one of those kids who like taking things apart, um, building a lot of things with Legos and, um, ever since then, like, I just, I kind of went from, you know, toys to bikes and then eventually in high school started working on cars a little more. Um, and at a certain point in high school football really wasn't like, I wasn't trying to play college football and then the opportunity came. So decided to go with the school that would let me do engineering and football. It seemed genuine about it. Yeah. Coming to Davis, I uh, had a little rocky start. (laughs) I wasn't the best student. I was struggling in class, um, but managed to push it through. Went to office hours a lot. Very important. And was very determined to do my degree because I know it was the path I wanted to take. Um, And then going through college, playing football, uh, the NFL really wasn't, something on my horizon either. It was kind of like, I'm just, you know, just going to get my degree and go be an engineer. Um, and in the, the past two seasons, it started becoming more of a possibility. Um, so especially after this season, you know, I decided to 
you know, put my, I graduated, got my degree. I decided to put my, um, my search for an engineering job on hold and put all my eggs into training for the NFL. So that's where I am right now. Okay. Lots of cool things to unpack, but I want to start with the present um, since that's where we are. What are you doing right now? What's, what are the steps? How do you prepare for that? Who's doing it with you? Where are you doing it? Um, unpack that for us a little bit. The first step was for me, was a, an all-star game um, or an all-star showcase rather. I went to the college gridiron showcase um, and they don't do an actual game. They do like a scrimmage at the end. So uh, it's not like something that's on TV, like the NFL PA bowl or something. Um, so you go to that, talk to scouts, do a practice, uh, have them kind of evaluate you and look at you. Um, and then they also give you like a lot of seminars about uh, finance, what to expect, um, just like professionality and how to conduct yourself. Um, so after that, you kind of figure out a place to train. Uh, a lot of places, there's a lot of gyms that will cost you an arm and a leg to go, <laughs> to go train there. Um, and I decided to stay at Davis and just train here. Uh, I'm from Davis. My parents live here. So I just moved back in with them. It was pretty easy. Um, so I don't have to pay rent. And I just can just train with Burke, who's a great strength coach. And I'm getting the same, if not honestly, better quality training than I feel like a lot of these places are getting for <laughs> not $3,000 a month. So. <laughs> that seems like a very wise path on your part. And I forgot you were a proud Davis high grad. Oh yeah. Go blue devils, baby. <laughs> Go blue devils. Indeed. Okay. So uh, living in Davis training out of the EFAC weight room, I would assume, because that's where the, the fanciest newest stuff is working with Burke, who is objectively um, terrific at his job. And if anybody can prep you to be an NFL player, I'm sure he can do it on the strength and performance side. What is the leap? Because I think most people understand out of high school, maybe 1% make it to division one. I forget what the exact numbers are. And then out of division one, maybe another 1% make it to the NFL. What's the thing that separates you that you're working on that will convince people that you're an NFL guy? Um, I would say the things I have going for me are athleticism. Um, I've always been pretty athletic, um, just kind of nurturing that ability um, and just intelligence. Um, that's one thing that the scouts talked about a lot, but uh, being engineer, being from Davis, I feel like people here are able to pick up on things really quickly, um, just in general. So if I can learn a playbook quickly, that'll keep me around and keep them interested anymore. And for those that don't follow our football program, what's your job on the football field? Uh, football, I, I was an offensive lineman. I played left tackle for most of my career here, which is the quarterback's blind side. That's the blind side <laughs> guy, right? Yeah, I know that much. That's the blind side. That's like the most important position on most offensive lines. So your job is to save the quarterback's life most of the time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. And statistics wise, and I don't know much about football. Are you big enough? I feel like in the blind side, I feel like that guy was 350 pounds at six foot eight, just an enormous human. Do you have all the requisite characteristics so that you're on an even playing field and your intelligence, which is obvious to most people, I think will set you apart or are you behind the eight ball in size? How does that look? Yeah. So I was, I actually am, I was, but undersized for tackle in college in the sense of height and reach. Um, typically tackles in the college and the NFL are like six, five over with very long arms. Um, it helps like going against DNs who were, you know, six, five, six, six with long arms. 
Um, so I'm making the transition to center guard for the NFL. So I've been learning a new position, learning how to snap. Um, and so it's a little bit more on my plate than perhaps just getting better at my current position. But my sense is the more flexible you are, if a team likes you and they can find a way to use you, they will. So if you show that flexibility and ability to learn a new skill, that's going to certainly help you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And ultimately, um, you have to be ready to play every position. So. <laughs> and the process between now and the draft and then after the draft, explain that a little bit. So right now I'm training for what's called pro day. Um, and it's basically every, or most, I might say every, most schools put one on where they have scouts come to their school and they evaluate you on the 40 yard dash, the pro agility drill, which is a lot of lateral cutting the L drill, um, which is kind of running in an L pattern. Um, your vertical jump, your broad jump, uh, how many times you can bench 225. And then they take you through um, field work drills that are position specific. And that's going to, when, when is our pro day? Our pro day is March 10th. And then the NFL draft is? Uh, NFL draft, I don't know the exact date, but it is late April. And so what happens, there are a bunch of rounds. And in an ideal world, you get picked up by a team in a round and lay out what happens if you are. And then I know there are options. If you don't get picked in the draft, what happens then? Yeah. So um, if you are picked up in the draft, you basically go to a team, you do the rookie mini camp, um, which is only for incoming players. And then you go right into OTAs, organized team activities, which are the, the whole team, the, vet, the veteran players come back. Um, but none of it's padded. You're not allowed to wear any football pads. Um, and you, it's more about learning the playbook, evaluating you, see if you fit in. And then you get a break. And then you come back for fall camp in August, which starts pads and starts preseason games. I love that. Okay. I, I've asked every question I could possibly ask about professional football. And most people are not going to be professional football players. So that's super cool. But I want to hear about engineer you. Um, Tell me about the first time you built something and it clicked in your head. Yeah, this is cool. This is what I do. The coolest thing you built in high school and maybe the, the most important formative experiences you've had as an engineer in college. Um, I would say in high school, probably just getting my truck running. Um, my dad had this, uh, well, still has, I guess, because uh, I drive it, uh, a 96 Ford F-150 that he used for like a, as a farm truck for a long time. Um, and he was, he kept it in his garage for like, I mean, I think it's like 12 years and he was like, Oh, one day, you know, I think my kids are going to drive it. And then uh, all we actually, all we had to do to start, it was pretty crazy. We just put some seafoam, um, fuel treatment in the gas tank and rebuilt the old battery. Um, cause you can build new, you can get new battery acid and kind of rebuild the cells individually. And it actually started, which was pretty crazy after doing nothing for 12 years. So uh, I did a lot of work on it after that, did the clutch twice. Um, uh, so I had to drop a transmission for that. Um, brakes, head gasket, drain pan gasket, a lot of just kind of well, not too much for how long it sat, but a decent amount of engine work. Um, added new speakers because, you know, got to have some, <laughs> some nice music. You got to have tunes, yeah. Right. <laughs> um, and then just little cosmetic touches here and there. Um, and then once I got to college, I would say 
senior design is probably the coolest thing. Um, just because it's, it's the culmination of all your work and, you know, you get to actually kind of, it's your first time really designing an airplane from the ground up and getting into like the technical details. Um, so that was, that was probably one of the cooler things. So were you aerospace or aerospace and mechanical? I can't remember exactly. I was aerospace. When did that click for you? Because cars make sense to me. Cool. I'm a gearhead. I like put, fixing things, putting them together. But making that leap to aeroplanes um, and aerospace stuff is different. So you came in, declared as an engineer, then somewhere along the line, aerospace bug bit you? Yeah. So I um, I originally came in as, I think it was computer science engineering. Um, but I think that was just because the, the, the aeromechanical had filled up by the time I committed. So they were just kind of like, get them in there. <laughs> um, so one of my good friends um who's a couple years older than me did arrow at uc davis um and he was just kind of describing to me and i'm like oh, that sounds pretty cool and so i ended up kind of falling into that that class and then i started just kind of learning more about airplanes it's like, wow this is this is pretty incredible that humans have been able to been able to do this <laughs> i mean taking some of that waste more than a house and having it stay in the air for 18 hours without any problems like that's kind of that's kind of wild when you really think about it, especially when a hundred years ago, we weren't even doing that. So, um, and it really started clicking for me school-wise when I got into upper division courses. So um, my lower division was pretty rough. Uh, my GPA wasn't great. I think I was getting, I was getting a lot of C's. Um, and eventually when I got into upper div coursework, it was less about like kind of weeding people out and more about like, teaching and also the material just started to click for me. I started to understand it better. Um, and the math that I learned previously started to make sense, which I could, once I could see how it was like used and you know, why we use it and why we need to learn it. Proving once again, that offensive linemen are the smartest guys in the field. I've heard that's true. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe. <laughs> no shade on any of your teammates. Okay, so I'm a little bummed you didn't get to go to Travis Air Force Base with us last Friday. Did JT tell you what we saw? No, he didn't, but I am a little jealous. <laughs> you would have enjoyed that. We actually got time in the KC-10 simulator and went out and took a tour of the KC-10 on the flight line, which um, for an amateur aerospace fan like myself was super cool, and uh, I'm sure you would have enjoyed the, the simulator training itself. Do you fly? Are you interested in flying, being a pilot, or is it just building the things? Yeah, uh, I actually am saving up for flight school right now. Um, and so just when, when I get, you know, my NFL um, goals sorted out, um, I'll have a little more time and I'm going to actually go into flight school. Okay. NFL dream is fulfilled. Let's say we're five years down the road. You had a stellar NFL career, starting center guard guy for whatever team. What's the best Nick life look like when it comes to engineering? Who do you want to work for? What do you want to do? What, what do you want your data to look like? I think I will say I got my pilot's license, <laughs> but uh, B, I would say working for um, one of those eVTOL startups, which are um, essentially giant drones that you get in. They're like air yeah, taxis. The air taxis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, just because I think. I want to do something that's more environmentally friendly and more sustainable aviation. Um, and I, I do kind of like the, uh, the mentality I've heard about startups where they're more fast paced, things get done quicker. And if you feel like you're actually, um, 
contributing to the project in a meaningful amount rather than you're just kind of designing like a really small part and then passing it off to more people um, working up a long chain. I've not heard that phrase before, but I love it. Sustainable aviation. You're the generation that's going to figure that out. Um, mine is the generation that made airplanes burn unbelievable amounts of fossil fuels. So what does that look like in the future? What, do you, what kind of difference do you think you can make from your generation designing the things that go in the air in the future? Um, I think so. There's There are some things that would have to change in terms of propulsion systems. Um, there's been experiments with uh, hydrogen powered engines. There's been um, hybrid electric engines where you have, instead of a jet engine, you have an electric ducted fan and then a generator. Um, and so ideally you could have some emissions regulation equipment on that generator to reduce pollution. Um, there's electric aviation, which is still a pretty long ways off because current battery technology doesn't have nearly the same energy density as fuel, the liquids, fuels in general, especially jet fuel. Um, that being said, there is an airplane, as I might butcher the name, but yeah, Evation Alice that flew, um, which was designed from the ground up. NASA also has an airplane that they uh, retrofitted the airframe for electric motors and that flew. Um, and so, but the, the problem with those airplanes is that they don't have nearly the same ranges. Uh, a lot of aircraft of the same size. So it would take a rethink in the style of travel we do um, rather than, you know, point to point might be more hub to hub, which would, you know, be ultimately would be less convenient. It would have to be a workaround. What's the leap beyond that? Like I'm a big science fiction fan. So I, there's all sorts of possibilities in science fiction about how things can be propelled through the air without burning fuel with some combination of subatomic nuclear plasma uh, is the aviation industry looking that far ahead or are we really just still stuck in let's try to make the leap to electric first? Um, I would say there's, there's a lot of solutions. So sustainable aviation fuel is one that's been a hotter topic recently. Um, you know, essentially, you're creating a net neutral carbon system by pulling the carbon out of the atmosphere that you use to make the fuel. Um, that the idea, it's not a bad one because it it's something that could be implemented directly, but it still has a problem of you are emitting carbon. You're not necessarily, you're, you're ideally you're offsetting it, but there's a potential that you're not depending on how the, how the plant that's generating fuel is powered. Um, one thing interesting is I think blimps could make a comeback. I think they should. I think there's a market for blimps. Really? Yeah. Rigid airships. With what <laughs> sort of gas or... Uh, what do you fill the envelope with that is sustainable and not super dangerous? Um, there's a, this all kinds of lifting gases. There's hydrogen, which, you know, that was kind of a downfall. Of the um, helium, you could, with, with the lifting gas, the, the blimp has its own buoyancy. Yeah, I mean, it can float in the air on its own. You could use electric propulsion. You could coat the surface of the, the blimp upper surface and solar panels um, to generate ideally in, a, in good conditions. It would, offset the use of the motors because the motors don't have to work to keep the blimp aloft necessarily. They just have to propel it through the air. And then you would have some kind of fuel backup generator, you know, in case it's cloudy or there's a failure with the solar panels, but you wouldn't run the, the generator most of the time. And so you could use blimps for 
items that need to like shipping you use it for shipping items that don't necessarily need to be brushed right away so they don't have to take air travel but it would be faster than uh, it could be faster than say rail or you know boats over the ocean um you could use it you could use them for something like disaster relief where um immediate response would obviously be people would fly there on regular aircraft and then you could bring say a floating hospital um some search and rescue equipment that's heavier to transport um so that you could do some more longer term disaster relief you could do um i mean you could you, there's kind of you can get real, real creative with them you can have like a mobile office there's talks of like i've seen concept videos for uh luxury blimps <laughs> like a luxury yacht it's same thing but in the air um and there's also possible pan- passenger transport if you want maybe a more cruise-like experience or you're not in a rush to get somewhere um but you still want to go faster than driving or a, a boat you can take a boat. count me in on investing in the nick amaw um, startup for blimp transportation. What a cool idea. I have not thought of that in a super long time, but if we could slow everybody down and just relax a little bit, not have to get places instantly, that would be so much more sustainable and probably even enjoyable if people didn't lose their minds having to just sit in one place for long. Brilliant, Nick. Good vision. I love that. Okay. Um, I want to go back to early. You are clearly somebody that graduated successfully from a super difficult engineering program, and you're on your way. You dug yourself out of the hole. Pass on some wisdom to other athletes. How do I not get into the hole? And then how do I get out of the hole? Yeah, so I would say initially I wasn't, I was putting time into my studying, but it wasn't effective studying. Like I wasn't really absorbing information. I was just kind of there, you know, existing. I would say, really make sure you understand it and take your time to understand it before you move on to the next concept, because they happen really quickly. And if you really don't understand the first concept, the next concept that builds on it is going to send you into that hole. Um, Go to office hours. I had professors literally (laughs) pass me because I went to office hours like every day consistently in those lower div classes. And they told me, one of them told me we're learning something called like Delta Epsilon proofs, which are just kind of proving that there's a, solution to a problem and i was like why do we ever need to know this and he was like well i mean you probably won't but this class has to be hard to weed you out <laughs> so like, oh, seriously okay wow yeah yeah no he, he just told me and i was like okay well and so you know, i went to office hours pretty much every office hour and him and a couple other professors too it wasn't just this was just the my first quarter here um you know they recognize that and they're like well he's show he's putting the effort like we know he wants to do this um, his, his test scores aren't, they're not great, but <laughs> at least he's not like getting, you know, zero on every test. We feel like he knows the information enough. He's putting in the effort, you know, I, I can pass you, I can give you a C. And so ideally you would get higher than that, <laughs> but that's all I can manage initially. Um, I did this having not taken calculus in high school at all. Uh, oh, wow. How challenging that would have, should have been. Holy cow. Yeah. So I think that was part of the difficulty. So I'm not saying it's, it's easy, but I think it's doable. If you bring your athlete mindset, that's what I heard, that you just buckled down, showed up every day, did the work, did not give up, made yourself coachable, and you got through it. Yeah, exactly. But what was high school like? Did, you said you didn't take calculus. Did you have access to those kind of courses and just not take them? Or did your high school not offer that kind of stuff? Yeah. So I did have access to those courses. Um 
I just, I, I mean, I think ultimately it kind of goes back to, I think it's like seventh grade or something. You get placed in classes based on your math scores. And so I was just, was I was like average. So I got put in the regular math track, which takes you right to pre-calculus before college. Um, I know I have a lot of friends who took uh, Calc AB. I, I have friends who took Calc BC. And so there, there is, there was the option at Davis, but I just never, I never made it that far when I was younger. And so it kind of follows you as you're older. What an indictment of the K-12 system though, that you're, <laughs> you were seriously behind the eight ball when you showed up because of one decision, some guidance counselor made when you were in seventh grade. Yeah. <laughs> so pass on a, a little more wisdom. If you could go back and tell 18 year old Nick something that would have made your journey a little smoother, easier, different, what would you go back and tell yourself? Um, academically, I would say prepare before the quarter starts. Um, and this is kind of the same thing I've told guys who, who are younger than me who said, yeah, I want to come in as an engineer. Khan Academy, it's free. Uh, they have, it's a very teachable format. And they have like quizzes that you take to help you understand the material. Um, there's numerous resources and just YouTube videos about how to do this, how to do that. You scroll through a couple and you'll find someone who knows what they're talking about. Um, and then just learn from that. If you can ask an older person who's done it, ask them for their old class syllabus. So you can see the materials that you need to cover and go off of that. Um, because if you come in knowing the material, that'll give you a leg up on everyone else. Cause ultimately, I mean, this is what the professor explained to me. It's a competition. They only want so many people in that major. And so you have to get yourself to that position where that they'll, they'll, they'll not try to like weed you out. Yeah. Well, kudos to you, my friend, for doing all of that. And to us for legitimately offering the opportunity for a football player to be an engineer. And we've had a bunch of them. Ryan Parento comes to mind and other folks that yeah. have, have been football players. It's not easy, but manage the engineering track. And I'm so grateful that our coaches made that uh, a possibility for you. What are we hoping for? What, what's your hope? Who do you want to get drafted <laughs> by? Where do you want to go? What, what am I pulling for? Um, I, I'll go wherever. Uh, Somewhere where no state income tax would be cool, so I can pocket all the money. <laughs> all right, you're headed south then. Good. Yeah. Good luck with that. Yeah, yeah thank you. California, Nick Moe, it, it has been a, home, <laughs> it has been a pleasure uh, to catch up a little bit. We'll be thinking happy, positive thoughts for good draft results. And I'm not worried about your launch after that because I'm sure you're going to be doing the both and while the NFL thing is happening, continuing to look at possibilities. And I hope you'll always be willing to come back and help us out and also ask for help if we can help uh, you get going once football is done. Yeah, thank you for having me on. You're quite welcome. That is it for this week's Aggie Evo World of Work Coffee Talk podcast. Thanks for listening to the World of Work podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and forward this to a friend. The preceding has been a Learfield IMG College presentation.